right. Well, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? How's everybody doing? Welcome to August. You guys don't sound like you're doing very good, uh, but welcome to August, also known as the beginning of winter in Colorado. And so obviously, no, that's not the case. It feels great out there. It's warm, and hopefully you have enjoyed your summer. Uh, but right now, we're incredibly grateful that you're here. You're here this morning. You're gathered with us because you believe this is a priority. And if you're a guest with us today, I've met several guests. Thanks for being here. Thanks for accepting the invitation. I don't know, you know how you heard about us, but thanks for coming and being a part of our gathering this morning. If you're not in a hurry, I'd love to meet you personally out at guest services if I haven't already had a chance to do that. And so uh, I'll be out there if you just want to stop by really quick before you leave today. That would be great. Well, guys, we have been in this series, GLOW, for the last 10 weeks, and this comes to a conclusion today. And from the very beginning, we have communicated in this series that GLOW, which stands for the gospel lived out, and we've been talking about the gospel, how it was never supposed to be something that we simply learned about, but it was always supposed to be something that we lived out. And so we've been communicating that from the very beginning. And today, again, this comes to a conclusion. And as we conclude this series today, again, if you're new here, this has been a journey through the gospel of John. We've been taking uh, our time making our way through the Gospel of John. And what I'd like to do today in my sermon is a little bit different. Now, what I'd like to do today is actually focus on the life of Peter. And more specifically, I want to focus in on one of his greatest, if not his greatest, failures. And a spoiler alert really quick, uh, this is the message that I want you to make sure you leave with today, that failure is never final. And so one of the things that we're going to do as we kind of walk through the life of Peter is I'm going to take a few moments and we're going to take some opportunities in some of the pivotal moments in Peter's life, life and I want to teach, just have, use those as a platform to teach from. And so we'll bounce around a little bit, but again, our major theme, the thing that I want everyone to walk away with today is that failure is never final. Now, before we jump into the text, I want to build a framework, uh, kind of a base of understanding, if you will, on the subject of failure. And I want to look at the subject of failure from a couple different angles, and I want to begin with this rhetorical question. Have you ever noticed how quick we are to compare our lives to the successes and failures of others? Have you ever noticed how quick we are to compare our lives to the success and failures of others? And you know this, social media has elevated our tendency to do this tenfold, which is probably why studies now show that you're more likely to be depressed after you get off Facebook or Instagram than you were before you got on there. Now, am I saying that these things, these platforms, social media platforms are bad? No, I think they're amoral. It depends on how you use them. But if you are prone to comparison, I would encourage you to be careful with how much or how you interact with those particular platforms. Now, what social media has done is inadvertently uh, caused us to compare our behind-the-scenes footage. In other words, we know what's really happening in our lives when we compare that to what I would call others' highlight reel, right? And it's their highlight reel because this is what they want you to see that's happening in their life. And so when we do this, we have a tendency to, to look and we think like, man, look at everything going on in their life, and we compare it to what we really know what's happening in our life. And again, this is probably why it leads to somewhat uh, an amount of depression in us. Guys, I want you to be careful with this. And I think we all have a tendency to be trapped into this. This is why I call it the comparison trap. And if you're not careful with time, this comparison trap will motivate you to pretend to be somebody that you're not in order to feel like you're keeping up. Several months ago, I actually preached a sermon on comparison. Maybe some of you were here and you remember it. And one of the things that I said in this particular sermon is how there's a gap in all of our lives. There's a gap between who you expect me to be 
in who I really am. And every one of this, this is, for every one of us, this is the case. There's a gap between who you expect me to be and who I really am. And to the extent that I fill this gap with who you expect me to be versus who I really am is the extent that I feel the need to pretend. Let me remind you of something that maybe you already know. God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. He blesses who he created you to be. This is why you have found us repeating this statement a lot around here, here, of, here recently. This is a place, this is a place where you can stop pretending. And don't miss this next statement because when who you are depends on what someone else says, what someone else does, what someone else posts, that is a path that will lead you to despair. Now, the reason why I wanted to start with this today is because I now want to speak out of both sides of my mouth, because as I was putting this sermon together this week, it kind of dawned on me that comparison is not always a bad thing. You see, comparison allows us to see that we're not alone, that we're not alone in our struggle, that we're not alone in our failures, that we're not alone, yes, even in our sin. You see, our enemy wants to convince each and every one of us that you are alone, that while you struggle to survive, others thrive. While in different areas of struggle in your life, maybe others are succeeding, and our enemy is consistently trying to put this in front of us so that you can feel isolated in your struggle. This is where I think comparing your life to maybe others' lives in a certain context maybe is not always a bad thing. And if you ask me, this is why authenticity and vulnerability are so important in relationships, and especially in the church, because sometimes we just need to be reminded that most of us are like the rest of us, that even though our mosaics of brokenness may look a little bit different, we are all still broken. (laughs) Now, what I'm not saying is that we take pride when others fail, right? We all have a tendency to do this. We've probably all done this at some point in our life. When we feel that little bit of elation, when your friend's kid made a mistake too, and you finally feel like, well, I guess it's just not my kids. Maybe when someone else had a huge failure in their life, maybe bigger than yours, and you're thinking, oh, well, I guess I'm not the only one. And so we start to take pride. We find these little sensations of elation when others don't succeed, when others fail. Maybe when you found out that you're not the only guy who watches World of Dance. That was for Tyler. That's not mine. Tyler, one of me. Listen to me. It's impossible. Don't miss this statement. Maybe this is your takeaway today. It's impossible for you to love people like God has called you to when you secretly hope they will fail. Can I say it again? It is impossible to love people like God has called us to when you secretly hope they will fail. But I do think, I do think it is healthy for you to see that you are not the only one and that your mistakes and failures, they don't disqualify you, which brings us back to the life of Peter. You see, today we're going to get to eavesdrop in on somebody making a really big failure in their life. And it's not just anyone. This is one of the closest followers of Jesus. And so there might be a little part of you that when you hear that, where it's like, man, even one of the closest followers of Jesus had a huge failure. Maybe that makes you feel a little bit better about your own life. Welcome to humanity. Yeah, I would be right there with you. But it's what Peter does with his failure that we really need to pay attention to. It's what Peter does with his mistake that will remind us that failure is never final. And so let's pick up in Peter's life 
when he has his first encounter with Jesus. Here's how I imagine this scene unfolding. Peter had a brother named Andrew, and at one point in time, Andrew was spending time with this guy named John the Baptist. Many of you know who this is. And John the Baptist was the guy, the prophet, who came ahead of Jesus to pave the way, to point the way that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was truly coming, that he was going to be among us. And Andrew was kind of the first, one of the first guys that heard that message, and he was with John the Baptist when John pointed Andrew and said, there he is. There's the Messiah, the man who will take away the sins of this world. And so Andrew becomes one of the first followers of Jesus. Now, Peter was an average fisherman. He was an average guy, like many of us. And I imagine that one day he's probably down by the lake when he sees his brother Andrew running in his direction. You see, Andrew knew that once he met Jesus and he felt like he found the Messiah, Andrew, the first thing that he wanted to do, go ahead and put that text up, the first thing that he wanted to do was to go tell his brother. And I imagine when he gets down to the edge of the lake and he finds his brother Peter, he says, Peter, we have found who we are looking for. We have found who we are looking for. And can I be really honest with you this morning? I wish that was the response from more of our lives. Because many of us have had an encounter with Jesus. Many of us know that he's the Messiah. But what is it that's keeping us from running and finding our brother, our neighbor, our coworker, our friend, a stranger, and saying, we have found who we are looking for. And that's the very first thing that Andrew feels like he needs to do. And so he finds Peter, and in verse 42 we read, he brought him to Jesus. Now, to be fair to the text, we're not certain that Jesus from the very beginning is bought in. Like, we're not certain that Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter, believes that Jesus is the one, that he's the guy. But maybe with months and even years, again, the ministry of Jesus, the time that he spent with his disciples is about three years. And so maybe after several months, maybe even after a little bit more than a year, we do get a clue, we get a sign that Peter's bought in, that he actually does believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Let me paint this picture for you. In John chapter 6, we read about the miracle of feeding of the 5,000. And for those of you that like to make little notes about the Bible, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that we see in all four Gospels. And so Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then he notices that he's got some people following him for all the wrong reasons. Maybe they're following him because they want a free meal, right? They're looking for another happy meal. Maybe they're following him out of convenience because, man, they're watching him do some pretty cool stuff, these different miracles and things that he's doing. And Jesus finally realizes, hey, these guys are following me for the wrong reasons. And so he begins to challenge their convenience, this idea of being a convenient Christian. And so he begins to teach on some harder truths. And as he teaches on these harder truths, a lot of these guys that are following him for the wrong reasons begin to fade away. And we read this in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. So Peter turns around, and he is looking at his, the main fellows that are with him, the 12 disciples. He says, do you want to leave too? Do you want to leave too? Now the fact that it's no longer convenient, do you want to leave too? Do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This next statement is telling. We have come to believe, meaning they maybe didn't always believe. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Can I take this really quick? And I want to get off on a tangent. I'm going to call a timeout real quick. And I want to get off on a tangent. And I want to teach on something that we just read. And it's going to take us off of our focus just a bit. And I'll bring us back. 
Church, if you ask me, there are way too many convenient Christians in our churches today. People who would say, maybe this will work for me. I mean, if, if it fits in my timeline of activities, doesn't cost me too much, doesn't interfere with my favorite sports team, and doesn't demand too much of me, then yeah, I guess, I guess I'm in. I pray that we as Trace Church will continue to grow as committed Christians, not convenient Christians. And if you don't know this, you need to know this this morning. Your commitment, not mine, yours, your commitment will always equal our capacity. You see, there's very little influence that I will be able to leverage. I'm doing my best to help lead this church. Again, Jesus is always going to be the Lord and leader of this church. I'm doing my best to take my cues from him. But as far as what we get, can accomplish together, that's on you. That's on you. And your commitment will always equal our capacity, our capacity to grow, to reach the lost, to bring life back to the broken, to extend hope when life hurts, to whatever the cost, reach the lost. Let's jump back into the story of Peter. In John chapter 13, we begin to see some of Peter's personality and his passions uh, start to come out a little bit. And let me set the stage for this particular text. In John chapter 13, Jesus is beginning to communicate to his disciples that he's going to have to leave. Now, he doesn't go as far as to say what's going to happen. He doesn't talk about the crucifixion because my guess, Jesus understands that they won't be able to handle that at that point in time. And so Jesus is communicating to them that, guys, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go. And Peter doesn't understand this. We see this interaction take place in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow right now, Peter, but you will follow later. And so Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow now? I will lay my life down for you. You start to see Peter's passion and tenacity come out. I think Peter is an eight on the Enneagram. Verse 38, then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Really? Really, Peter? Will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, maybe another way to say before the sun rises, you will disown me. Don't miss the magnitude of that word. You will disown me. You will disown me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. Let me bounce off of this particular text and talk to you about something. Friends, I feel like one of the greatest let me say it this way. I think one of the major causes to some of our greatest failures is not acknowledging what we're capable of. You see, in this moment, as Peter's hearing from Jesus, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Jesus, there's no way I'm ever go going to disown you. I mean, haven't you been observing my life? Like, I'm in now. I'm bought in. I'm, I'm following after you. Like, I'm good. We're, we're, I'm ready to go with you, whatever it takes. But what Peter couldn't see is that there were going to be some circumstances, and once those circumstances were in place... He was going to be capable of doing something that he never thought he would be capable of. Friends, sometimes I feel like one of the greatest causes of our major failures is because we forget what we're capable of. If you've never heard this today, let me tell you, we are all one decision. Everybody say one. We are all one decision away from doing something horrible. Every single one of us. We are all one decision away from doing something horrible. And so oftentimes what happens is we don't see the circumstances that are going to breed the, what I would call the recipe of disaster. We don't see those circumstances. And so back here, we kind of look and say, like, I'll never do that. 
when you get married, you never think about, man, I'm going to allow that flirtation at work to go on a little bit, and my marriage is not going to be doing so well at home. Our sex life is horrible, and man, I'm tired. I haven't been sleeping enough, and so for whatever reason, this girl at work has been flirting with me, and that leads to maybe text messages that should have never been exchanged, and then you end up in a bedroom you should have never been in, but you didn't see that because you didn't know that those circumstances were going to lead to this recipe for disaster. I mean, when you first started working for that organization, I mean, you never really thought that it's, you're going to get to a point in time where it's like, I don't feel appreciated. And then you have this opportunity where you took some things that maybe weren't yours, you embezzled a little bit of money because you work hard. You deserve that. You're not, you're not owed enough as you deserve. But you didn't see that when you first started. Maybe when you started in your journey with Jesus. You never saw those circumstances that would be perfect at some point in time in the future. And those circumstances, maybe you could call them the right circumstances, maybe you could call them the wrong circumstances that caused you to start to make justifications for your sin and saying things like, did God really say that? I mean, did, did he really mean it that way? Is he, is he really, really going to be that upset? if I, do? I mean, I'm not hurting anyone. Guys, I don't have a lot of time to spend here. But can I give you three takeaways? Three takeaways that hopefully will help you in that moment that right now you might not be able to see. Those circumstances that may present themselves in front of you one day that will be a recipe for disaster, and you're just one decision away from doing something stupid. I've had several of those, and so that's actually number one. I'm going to give you three takeaways. Number one, always know that you're only one decision away from doing something horrible, something stupid. Number two, you need to plan for that weakest moment. You see, oftentimes we are in places in our life and it's like, I feel good, like our relationship's okay right now and things are good. And so we don't really necessarily feel like we need to play offense, that we need to put different frameworks in place or safeguards in place. But you need to prepare for your weakest moment. You need to prepare for your weakest moment. Maybe the best way to do that is to have at least one person in your life, a coach, a mentor, a pastor, that when you're in that recipe of disaster and you're about to do something horrible, that you know that you can reach out to them and you're not going to get condemned, you're not going to feel condemned or judged, but they will help walk you off that cliff. Walk you from that off the cliff. Hopefully they don't walk you off the cliff. That's a nightmare. (coughs) Walk you away from the cliff. (coughs) That's a horrible mentor if you ever have one of those that walks you off the cliff. Number three. Always ask the question. You know, you, some of you that have been around for a while know I preached an entire sermon on this a while back. Always ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? Sounds so simple. But I promise you, if you allow your life to live by this, where this can become an essential part of your decision-making process, it will radically change the circumstances that you will find yourself in, in a good way. So if you ever wonder what to say or do, ask the question, what is the wise thing to do. And if you'll continue to answer that question honestly, friends, it will lead you to become a, a man and or a woman of wisdom. And who doesn't want to end up there? Let's jump back into the story. Ultimately, Jesus is arrested. And when that happens, his disciples scatter, they take off. And we don't know where the majority of them went, but we do know that Peter stays close by. He wants to see what happens to Jesus. And it says there was one other disciple, likely John, that stayed close by as well. And they find themselves in what's called the temple courtyards, the, high, the courtyard of the high priest. And that allowed them to be close enough to potentially even be observing what was happening to Jesus from moment to moment as he's being beaten and 
ridiculed and spit on and slapped. And at some point, someone recognizes Peter. And when they recognize Peter, they start to say things like, hey, aren't you, like, aren't you that guy? Don't, don't you, weren't you one of his followers? But potentially, let's take this and make it a little bit more personal. In the mind of Peter, maybe he's processing it like this. Hey, aren't you Jesus's, like one of his best friends? Aren't you the guy that left your career and said that you were committed to following Jesus no matter what? Aren't you the guy that's like been with him and said that you were willing to lay your life down for him? And Peter denies it. Not once, not twice, but three different times. And I actually want to read to you from Matthew's account of this last, uh, this third denial in Matthew chapter 26. This is how it goes down. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. I can empathize with Peter here. I get this from Kentucky all the time. Peter swore a curse on me. Watch how he has a tendency to overcompensate. We do this, don't we? When there's something happening in our life and we don't either want to be recognized that way, we don't want that to happen, we have a tendency to overcompensate. Maybe you need to pay attention to that in your own personal life because this is what Peter does. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. Can you identify with Peter there? Maybe not as much as the denial of Jesus, but maybe for you, is immediately after you made that decision, you regretted it. I've been there. Too many times to count. Now to be clear, I'm not talking about the kind of regret that you have because you had the second donut or because you didn't set the DVR to record the game or the kind of regret that you have after watching any Keanu Reeves movie. <laughs> That's horrible. That's so unpastoral of me. Keanu, I know you watch every week, so I apologize. But let's be honest. like He's the same character and actor in every single movie. Sorry, tangent. Guys, the regrets that I'm talking about are the kind of regrets that have you swimming in shame. The kind of a mistake that you think you can't recover from. A bad decision that left you feeling disqualified. The kind of mistake that makes you feel like your failure actually is final. I've been there. Like I really have. I've been there. <laughs> but now I'm here. Stay with me for a second. I've been there, but now I'm here. I have been there, but now I'm here. Some of you are still there. And if you are still there, would you afford me the opportunity to speak into your life right now? Friends, in God's hands, failure is never final. But it's even better than that. In the hands of Jesus, failure can be reshaped as growth. And that is a promise we're celebrating. If you've never said amen in church before, now would be a good time to say it. Friends, the consequences of our sin may lead to limitations, right? When we make certain decisions in this life, we get this. Our consequences follow us. So the consequence, or I'm sorry, the sin in our life, the mistakes that we make, the failures that we make, they may leave us with some limitations here on earth. But can I remind you this morning that God's grace knows no limits? There are no limitations as long as you 
ask for it, and you pursue it. And even Peter, after denying Jesus, disowning Jesus three times, gets to experience this amazing grace. Let me set the stage. At this point, Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's been crucified, he's been buried, and he's resurrected. And it says that he actually appeared to his disciples. And when he appeared to his disciples, there's something that we don't see. We don't see Jesus acknowledge Peter, and we don't see Peter acknowledge Jesus. For all we know, and I'm speculating, Peter may be in the back corner kind of sulking in his shame. Maybe when Jesus appeared, he got that big knot in his throat. And that shame just got deeper and deeper into his soul. And he didn't feel worthy, even if God was willing to forgive him. But then we see another interaction happen between Jesus and Peter, and that's the one that I'd like to read to you today. It's in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 3. Peter says to the guys, I'm going to fish. I can appreciate this. I love to fish. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but not that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, hey, friends, haven't you any fish? And I can kind of hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice here, just giving them a hard time, talking smack as a fisherman. They said, no, no, it's obvious. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will, you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, it's kind of funny how he refers to himself this way, but then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And as soon, don't miss those words, sometimes we just run over words too fast, as soon, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and he fixed his eyes on Jesus. It's almost as if in this moment, Peter remembered his mistake. But from this point forward, he was going to allow his mistake to become his motivation. And he fixed his eyes on Jesus. I love how the Hebrews writer says it in the beginning of chapter 12. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Peter finally came to a moment where he was not going to live in the past any longer. For some of you, that's where you're at. It's been hard for you to get past your past. But for Peter, he finally got to that point where he's like, nope, no longer. I'm going to allow my mistake to become my motivation. And you know what's interesting? Something that we probably overlook? The fact that he wrapped his outer garment around him. Why in the world would he wrap his outer garment around him if he was getting ready to jump into the water? Because he was not going to allow a bad choice to anchor him into the past any longer. Friends, what would it take for you this morning to instead of living in the past, instead of living, feeling chained to a past choice, what would it take for you to take that mistake and allow it to become your motivation? Because this is exactly what we see Peter do. And he sits down on the beach once he gets there, and it says they have a meal together. Let me read this to you. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, 
And imagine the eye contact, okay? Looking straight at him, probably pretty close. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. In other words, take care of my people. Notice that Jesus is commissioning him with a new purpose, regardless of his past. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep, take care of my people. I got a new purpose for you, Peter. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things so that you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see, one of the things that Peter didn't know up until this conversation was how Jesus felt about him. He knew how he felt about Jesus. He knew that he was ready to take his mistake and let it become his motivation to move him towards God and allow his eyes become fixed on Jesus. But what he didn't know is how God actually felt about him. A lot of scholars believe that the reason Jesus asks Peter three different times if he loved him is because he wanted to give him three different opportunities to feel redeemed because of his three denials. I have a tendency to believe that that's actually true. And the takeaway that I want you to have from that moment is that there is forgiveness for every one of your failures. There is forgiveness for every one of your failures. And so if you have been chained to a past choice, I want you to take that mistake and I want, to, I want you to allow it to become your motivation moving forward. Listen to me. You are not the sum of your past mistakes. You are who God says you are. And God says you're his child. If you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus, his grace is limitless. And you are one of his children. And so don't allow that mistake, don't allow that past to keep you in the past, don't allow that choice to keep you chained and anchored to something that God has already forgiven. But let him take it and reshape it as growth. Because in the hands of Jesus, failure, it's never final. Let me pray for us. Oh, God... Every one of us has so many failures that are following us. And it's what we do with those failures, Lord, that really will help to shape the future purpose that you say you have for us, God. It's clear that if we're not dead, then you're not done. That if we have a pulse, then you have a purpose for us. And Lord, I thank you that you have given me a testimony where I can get up here and not just speak with empty words, but from experience the transformation that you have allowed in my life by taking my pain and my past and reshaping them as growth. And so, Father, I pray more than anything that we would hand all of our junk over to you this morning because in your hands, you can give it purpose. And so, God, I don't know what it is that's keeping some people in this room chained to a past choice, but God, would you help to break that chain for them this morning? Would you remind them that they are not the sum of their past mistakes, that they are a child of yours as long as they will put their trust and faith in Jesus? And so God, would you do what only you can do in this, these next few moments? Help us to break some chains. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to lead us into a time of response, church. And <clears throat> if you're new here, this is something we do every single week.
we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And the way that we do that, and this is specifically for those of you that have put your faith and trust in Jesus, we take a cracker that represents the body of Christ and we dip it in a cup of juice that represents his blood that was spilled out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. <clears throat> so around this room, you'll see four crosses and at those crosses, there are stations where you can celebrate and remember with those elements. There's something else that I'm gonna ask that you do with me this morning, something that's kind of wrecked me over the last day or two, and that is the, the mass shootings that we have witnessed once again. And every time that I see one of these, there's a statement that comes out of my mouth really fast. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And what I'd like for us to do today is to remember that God has given us a tool called prayer. That even though we don't know all the details, and if this is even new to you, I think in the last two to three days, there's been over 30 people that have died in a mass shooting, the latest list last night in Dayton, Ohio. And without us being like, well, I want to know more details. I want to know more details. Why don't we just slow down and use the tool that God has given us that he says makes a difference and pray for all the people, specifically the people in those communities that have lost someone. And I want you to pray that they get to feel the body of Christ in a way that they never have. In other words, that the local church in those areas would rise up and show them amazing grace. Amazing love. That they would see Jesus through those people that are representing the local bodies of Christ around those areas. And that we would pray for the families that are grieving in this moment. And that we would pray maybe a personal prayer. God, don't ever let us become desensitized to the real pain that happens in this world every day. And so I'm going to pray for us. This is also an opportunity if you've brought <clears throat> your offerings, there's some buckets on the tables. And we have a couple prayer stations in the back <clears throat> on those black tables if you'd like to go submit a prayer request. But pray with me and then I'll encourage you to respond. Father, I pray that even as I speak, that the church is being mobilized in those areas and they are showing incredible compassion, incredible love. God, that they are making themselves available and that people that didn't even know you or maybe even were adverse to you and to your local church, God, that are opening their eyes to see what the church was truly supposed to look like. And Father, I pray that this would cause some people, even in the midst of this tragedy, that this would cause some people to look to you in new ways, for some people to look to you for the first time in their life, for some people to realize and be reminded of that we don't have, like we're not promised another minute, we're not promised another day, and we truly don't know what's gonna happen in our lives. And so we better make sure that we have made the choice to allow your son to be the leader, Lord, and the forgiver of our lives. So God, I submit these things to you. God, would you help us just to allow this to be a thin space, a thin moment between us and you over the next few minutes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>